Welcome to the Sports Plus show with Baker, Big D, and Joe. Uh, no Baker, but uh, we have a special guest. Baker, Matt, is happily ninjing somewhere with his kids. Yeah, and, nin, uh, nin, ninja gymnastics, which sounds like a thing I would love to do until I tried to do it for about four minutes and broke half so, of the joints of my body. You know body. what it sounds like? Remember those old Bud Light commercials where they would take the two sports and they would say, I want to watch one. No, I want to watch two. No, let's watch both. And then they'd, then they'd match them together. Well, I'm afraid the three of us all missed out on the gymnastics. I do, uh, you know, I have a Zoom, I'm a Zoom teacher and I do class with the kids and so i start off with some basic exercises and one of them is balancing on one foot and these people these kids balance on one foot which i can barely do for 10 seconds uh with one leg straight stretched straight up in the air <laughs> or they do back bends or whatever it's uh we we missed out on that. So I, my name is Big D, uh, uh, calling from Western Mass, where it's 20 degrees, but it's maple sugar time. So it's a very <laughs> exciting time of year. Uh, Are the Joe, sugar house is opening. I, yes. I, I, well, yeah, you got to go to uh, Mass Maple Producers, uh, that website, and they'll tell you what's opening. But yeah, it does appear that they're opening. I'm very excited. Um, and we're tapping a tree at school, too, you know, and we're going to film it. Oh, but, cool. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, no maple syrup out there in Oregon, is there? I don't think we have any. I don't think there is, I don't think there is so. such a thing. It, it's um, There's lots of local honey. There are lots of apiaries. Beekeeping is big out here. But um, no, it's uh, and typically, you know, 55 and gray as it will be for the next month. Um, but we have a very special guest. We, we are without our mat this week, so we had to fulfill our quotas. <laughs> mats. So we have Mass Live columnists and fellow proud UMass journalism alum, Matt Votour, with us. Matt, thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem at all. And uh, Matt, I have to say that I, I'm a fanboy. When you uh, <laughs> worked for the Gazette, which, you know, the Gazette is newspapers, it's really a sad thing what's happened to them. Um, and, you know, I always felt that the Gazette is a great paper. I still subscribe to it. I will. Um, but I was really disappointed when they started, you know, um, I don't know if you moved on your own or if they let you go or whatever it was, but, um, but the truth is the current um, Gazette is really, really uh, cut back. It still has local columnists and that's all I want to read. Um, and uh, so anyway, I always enjoyed your coverage of UMass sports, especially basketball. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, it is for, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you for starting. It is, it's, it's, I, I, I fortunately, I got out of there before things got bad and it, it is, it's sad. It's sad to see it because I mean, that was a, that certainly was a, uh, a, an important part of my life. I, I mean, I, I really like, I was 22 when I started working there and, you know, technically an adult, but with the amount of sort of forming I still had to do a lot of it happened right in that, in that newsroom. And certainly I learned how to do what I'm doing in, you know, working there. And so to, to see it kind of, uh, especially, especially the, the sports desk, how, how, uh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, Kyle Grabowski and a couple, one other person maybe, and they do all right, but the, you know, it's, it's become a, almost an afternoon paper, but, uh, Matt, you used to put out, I don't know, it's got to be thousands of words. 
<laughs> it was mostly, you know, you, you could look at it and say that I worked hard. I think it was more that I had nothing else going on in my existence a lot of the time. So. <laughs> like, this, is more about, uh, this is probably more of a reflection of, of my, at least especially early in my, in my career, need to find some work-life balance, which I didn't have. Do now, I suppose, <laughs> oh, you know, at least more so. But uh, but but did not at that point. <clears throat> well, there's something to be said for as a writer, just for the when you have an opportunity to write that much, and that's why I think that's why you've gotten where you are now because you had when you were younger, you had that opportunity to just churn out story after story and column after column, and, and you can't. There's not really a substitute for that sort of real world exercise. No, and you know what? You can move that down to the elementary level too. So I teach se- seven and eight year olds. And, you know, to get them to write is really important. And so to get them to write a lot of stuff and not to be, not to worry about the spelling. Honestly, I think reading and writing are the hardest things um, to learn. And, you know, so the more they write, the better they get. And then you help them spell, um, you know, a certain word, a common word that they use all the time there and they get it and they, their writing improves. And uh, it's just, you know, the more you do it, it's just, I always tell them it's like sports. You know, if you want to be a good soccer player, a good basketball player, you got to practice. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it and the great thing, and the thing, and I've, I've told this to, to journalism students a bunch of times is, you you want to work someplace that that'll let you write a lot and some place that'll let you that wants to be good at what you're covering like that they, they, they whatever you're writing about is something they take seriously and that I was definitely I was definitely fortunate with that at the, at, at the Gazette. It, it, uh, and there was a lot of good sports writers then. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, Boston. I worked, I worked with some really good people. I mean, Boston has, you know, Peter Gammons and Bob Ryan. There are just a long, long list of legendary sports writers from Boston. But, Matt, part of it is the enthusiasm, I think, of writing, covering something that you enjoy. And it started as as covering your college team. And now you, know, you get to cover the pro teams that you rooted for, you know, growing up. So, uh, you know, that that little extra motivation, little extra thrill must still make it easier to get up and do that every day, right? You know, it's funny. It, it's uh, it's you definitely went, if it, it doesn't take long to be to be covering anything before it's you, you recognize it's different than you know than, <laughs> than, than rooting for it, but not in you know not in a bad way. And like it's um, I just I look at when I'm watching something with a uh, I used to say this when I'm watching something with a pen in my hand. I just see it differently than I do when I'm watching something with a beer in my hand. And, and, and so that doesn't really work anymore. I don't use, I don't use pens, but it's, it's, it's a better line back then. But, right. um, but no, it is, it's, it's for me, the, the, my history of, of, of rooting for, for those teams is, you know, is, is really helps in the institutional memory that I have of being able to, to recall how something fits historically into into something else i think that that's, that's it's funny you say that about the pen being different i went i have a relative a brother-in-law and uh, he lived down in south florida and there was bookies around and so we started betting on uh, college football and and uh, professional football and 
you know, it was in the early in the season and say college, it's pretty easy that Alabama is going to beat whoever they play by 35 points, you know, so you can, you can get a little money. We got a little money going in the beginning of the year. Then we ended up always losing it all. And, um, <laughs> but the thing I noticed is I'm a tremendous Patriots fan. And if I had bet on them in whatever way, I, I wasn't enjoying the game. And that's really why I stopped because I didn't want to not enjoy the teams. I'm a real homer, uh, Celtics, Patriots, you know, uh, Red Sox. And sure. I didn't, I didn't want to, um, the feeling that I was only looking at the spread, it took away my appreciation of the game. Yeah. I was never a huge gambler. You know, I've bet a couple of times in my life on sporting events, but it, it's not, I wouldn't ever want to wager on, on the team that I was trying to root for. Cause it does seem like that would interfere, whether it's a point spread thing or a, or a win loss thing. But it's funny, Matt, you talked about when you go, when you're covering games professionally, you don't see them the same way. I, you know, I've done radio and a little bit of print and a lot of photography and video and, particularly with the with the photography if i go shoot a football game i when i watch the whole game through that camera lens i almost don't know what happened in the game at the at the end of the game like you can sort of pick up on you know tension and swings and momentum and things but you it's really odd that because you're seeing some things more closely but i guess it's hard to get a sense of what's actually going on in the game Basketball maybe seems a little less so, but definitely has that same degree of if I was doing it through the camera, I was much more detached from how the game was going. It's really, really bizarre. Well, the example that I that I, I use when people try to like, well, this must be must be great, you know, being with your being a fan or whatever. It's the example is that um, I, I certainly would have up until getting in this job, rooted for the Celtics in any game they were playing in. Uh, I was covering a Celtics-Lakers game. Um, I have to think now. It's, it's, whether it was, two, it was two years ago or at the beginning of last season, my entire like mental calendar all just blends hey, together. Time does not mean anything no, anymore. Totally. Yeah. And, and, yeah. So, and so um, at the very end of the game, Rajon Rondo, who is a Laker at this point, hit a hit a three point or hit a yeah hit a three pointer at the buzzer to beat the to beat the Celtics. Uh Kevin Garnett was in the stands. Kevin Garnett was like a big brother to Rondo during his his career. Um so for me that was a like Rondo obviously had been a Celtic for so long. Like that was a terrific story setup. That was exactly what you what would uh what you'd look for for in a for story. That it was it's it was um you know, there was a, there was tension at the end, compelling and so forth. So, so when he hit that shot, I was like, yep, perfect. I have a great story to write now. And so, and it was, so it was not a, it was not a matter of, um, it was not a matter of like the Celtics lost. It was better for me that the Celtics lost. And, and that's, and that's kind of the way I, I, I look at something now is, is I'm, I'm looking for something interesting to write about and that, and, um, and that's sometimes that's a win. Sometimes it's, I'm never rooting for or against anybody. It's just in, in the moment, I'm looking for whatever the, the best thing to do. Now, uh, Matt, can I ask you a question? So have you, are you still for Mass Live? Do you still cover um, the UMass men's and women's basketball teams? 
very rarely. I, I, uh, I, uh. I've done a, a little bit. I did a little bit last year. I haven't done any of it, any of it this year. I mean, uh. I would have gotten at some point close to it this year. I think just to, just to be on, but you couldn't, you couldn't go. Well, are you have part of the, why I was asking you is, um, have you gone to any games, you know, as a reporter in which they've allowed a few reporters there, but there's no crowd. I have in uh, I've been to I've been to a all uh, I've been to a Red Sox game, a, a Patriots game, a Celtics game, and a Bruins game with no fans. I've been okay, to- so so the question is, wh- what is the energy level? Because you know, especially with those Boston teams, they they've had levels of success and very close games, mm-hmm. very tense, and they tend to have a pretty passionate fan base. And so, is the energy level? How do is the energy level drastically different? And yes. do the players um, reflect? Uh, uh, do they not do as well? without the fans i think you know what it is i think it's harder to make some sort of great comeback without it like mm-hmm. like i i think i think getting off to a good start is is important and i think a game can get away from you a lot easier when there's nothing you know when there's no there's no one sort of spurring you back in the uh spurring you back towards success i, I think i think the uh I think it can it can really get away from you a lot a lot easier. Um, it's interesting because I think in pro basketball this year you're seeing more losses by thirty points, forty points, even fifty yeah. points. I've I've seen I've I've seen a couple of them live, and because <laughs> I think I think one of the, I think yeah I think some of those legitimately just the game gets out of hand a lot. I think it, it gets a, a lot easier. I, I do yeah I think you don't see the momentum swings the same way that you would have. I'm surprised to see and just, you know, I, I was curious about these numbers a couple of weeks ago about the, whether the home court advantage had been wiped out because there aren't crowds. And it seems like the percentage wise, the win percentage is like a percentage and a half off the average for the last 10 years. So it doesn't seem like not having fans is making a huge difference in home court advantage. It's still pretty significant. 64 point something percent. But I think I th- the difference is that these guys, I think travel is a lot more arduous because you can't go to restaurants. You can't walk around. You're stuck in your hotel room. I think that saps something from their energy when they're, when they're doing it. Whereas when you can sleep in your own bed and kind of move and function and eat the way you normally would, I think there's a comfort level that comes into that, that, uh, that isn't quite the same um, on the road. So I think, I think, Home court advantage is, is still there, but for different reasons. It's different, yeah. yeah. Although you I, think you would think that being on the road, <laughs> since they're you know the clubs aren't open, you know you'd think players would be getting more rest on the road. Than no, they, no, they don't want to be in their room all day long with nothing to do, man. But, but they are. They they're can't. Not, they're not reading books. It's not like they can go out. If they go out, that's a violation of policy, and they'll they'll get right. But but if you live at home, at least you've got some companionship there. You've got your family, right? And there is the the schedule's a little bit compressed and a little bit hectic too. There's lots of lots more back to backs this year, right? And and it's funny through all that. We Matt, we 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 do a lot of. praising of LeBron James on the show for, for lots of reasons. But, you know, after the season they had, 
and the shortness of the offseason, he's played in every game and is playing, you know, 34, 36 minutes a game. So I think, you know, the, the, we're seeing this NBA season has been phenomenal. And I know, mm-hmm. Daryl, you're a huge NBA fan, and I know you appreciate this. But just it seems like when I looked at the, the all-star rosters, that Team LeBron might be the – might be the best assemblage of basketball players. I mean, these, well, you look at the, the Ross, this all-star roster, it's as good or better than the 92 dream team, which is kind of the gold standard for basketball. I think, are, are we at, are we at peak basketball right now? Is this the best the NBA has been? You're, you're saying that the, that the, I have to, I have to think this through. You're saying that the current, if you were to, you're saying Team LeBron, or you're saying the, if you took the best, the top half of this current All Star team? I'm saying be, I, when I just. No, I think he's saying that this is the golden age of professional basketball. I think right? the, the the five players on Team LeBron may be the best five, maybe better than any five in in team history, certainly, and probably would rival the starting five for that for that '92 Dream Team. And then if you took, you know, the entire, if you made a, a Olympic Dream Team out of top NBA players, which we don't do anymore, that it would, that it would rival that team. I mean, just look at the, the, there are five NB MVP candidates on that one team. And there are probably eight or nine legitimate MVP candidates this, this season where any other year, any of them could win it. So I'm with you. I'm with you up until you're trying to ha- to to put this group against the 92 team in terms of in terms of, so I do think this is a really good time for professional basketball in terms of how much of the world is playing it how you know how high the the quality is of it I I do think it's a uh, I do think it's an it's an impressive I do think it's an impressive collection I'm not co- I'm trying to I'm trying to think who this the starters were on that, on that 92 team. Some of those guys that in uh, now, if you, honestly, obviously Larry Bird's not peaking at that point, but some of the guys on that team that, that uh, I'd, I'd match up with, I, I still think that you're, that it's a hard, it would be hard to, uh, to get, to get better than that. Certainly LeBron can play in, in, in any era. Um, and I love watching, I love watching, uh, I love watching, Jokic fight now. I'm watching, oh god, watching, watching what he does from from his position. But uh, yeah, I, his I, it, slow it, motion it, dribbling that nobody steals the ball <laughs> from him, you know, and his passing is just brilliant. Well, and the, the fact that that when when they played the uh, when they played the Celtics couple, oh Celtics, god, he hit those two double pointers at the end of the game. Oh, and um, and oh, you're talking Doncic. Who, yeah. Oh, no, no, oh Luka. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I got confused. No, there. I, I, yeah. him too. Him too for certain. Yeah. I was talking to uh, for Jokic that um, yeah. that to to do what he does as a big guy and the fact that you won't you don't want to double him because you're afraid of his passing is uh is is fun to see. So no, I think that team LeBron. I, I think he. I think he way. I think Durant was picking a roster of guys he thought it would be fun to play with. And Le- and LeBron was picking. I mean, the ball movement potential for that team, LeBron team, with you know between Jokic and Doncic and LeBron himself. Um, you know, Giannis can certainly can certainly pass the ball. Ben Simmons, Chris Paul, like the amount of guys that that are are terrific at just 
you know, just moving the moving the ball, it, it, that's that's amazing. <laughs> Now, yeah, Matt, from what – go ahead, Joe. Well, I was just say it's it's too bad this isn't a real game with real stakes because it's going to be well, – I hate the All-Star game. Yeah, it's going it. to be Plus, 100. they weren't supposed to do it this year. Yeah, which I imagine the, the, the traditional All-Star game level of defensive effort that we're used to seeing, I think yeah. we, won't, we, won't, we won't even see that this time around. I think, though, I think you're forgetting a little bit, though. I agree with you. The All-Star game – historically, the defense in the All-Star game has been, has been trashed. And I'm against there being an all-star game this year for a yeah. bunch of reasons. That said, the fact that the, that um, the fact that they're using the uh, the fact that they're using the different rules for the all-star game um, at the end. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, yeah, I, I tried. So if you can explain this to me in in you know in easy terms, please do because I read three articles on this and I still still do not understand how this is going to work. So it's it's pretty it's pretty uh it's so it's called the Elam ending, and so it's pretty it's it's pretty simple. After um after a certain point in the game, I think it'll be after whether it's after the I think I'm I'm not positive exactly how they do it in the in the for the NBA All Star game, but I've seen that they do this in the in that summer the basketball tournament, and so with a certain amount of time left, they say okay, you take the score of what it is. So let's say for example, Team LeBron is Team LeBron has 100, Team um, Durant has 95. They will then say, uh, for, they'll add uh, um, a specific number to, the, to whatever the, the, the team that's leading is. So uh, if it's 195, let's say that they're adding 25 points to it, then the winning team has to get to 125. The clock is done. There's a shot clock, but there's no clock at that point. So you've got to get to that number. I don't, I, I'm not... I'm not Interesting. Positive. So is it in a way, is it like um, sudden death in soccer? Well, no, not exactly. You just have to get to that number. You have to, so, so it, the, it's like playing 21 in your backyard where you're trying to hit a score target. And I think, I think if I remember right, it's going to be the fourth quarter. That's going to be this. The, the, yeah, I I'm, guess. Gi- I'm digging it up. I'm going to have it. I'm going to, I'll give you the exact. And do you think it's going to lead to real defense, which it never happens? Year. It yeah. Okay. Year. Right. Last year, last year was terrific, and um, what it does is it also means there's a guaranteed game-winning shot every time you do it. I think the uh, I think the uh, interesting I think the NCAA tournament should use it. I think of the NCAA tournament is tremendous with it because think you about know, that you'd have 65 game-winning shots every time. <laughs> doesn't that? But doesn't that dilute the magic of it? Isn't part of it the 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 magic of it being a rare? I think it would be. Yeah, I, 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 I don't agree. I don't want to see. Uh, I, I don't want to see. Great. But I, I don't want to see. Do we really need to fundamentally alter the game of basketball, college yes. basketball? College yes. basketball in that tournament is the best sporting event we it have. It used to be. It used to be. It used to be. Last year's NCAA tournament had a whole bunch of, in, in those late things, had a whole bunch of guys waiting until there were seven seconds left and playing, running bad isolation plays. And, and so you know, much. J- that's Jason not something Tatum, we, we don't have Jason to change Tatum, the rules. who I love, he does that all the time at the end of games. He just stands out there, dribbles, and then flings up a three-pointer and usually doesn't hit it. But, uh, you know, I love the player. But I'll give you the, the most fundamental argument for the Elam ending. And, and, and here's the thing. If you watch it, think about it, and, and tell me. Watch it and see how it per, per, portrays itself before you're before you're opposed to it. Because I didn't have any opinion of it until I, I watched it this summer in the in that summer tournament that they have, and I was I was transfixed by. It. 
what it does is it makes every play in every play in that at the end of the game each team has is motivated to play defense to stop the other team from scoring and each team is motivated to score there is no trying to run the clock out trying to wait to get a guy to get fouled and so forth that, that eliminates all of the garbage that at the end of a basketball game you so many times in a basketball game you have 40 minutes of terrific basketball and the last eight is is somebody cl- trying to clock manage in this you the every possession matters every possession matters at the at the, at the end in a way that makes for for a really compelling situation it's, i'm 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 an absolute convert on it i i don't argue that that it potentially would make the end of the game quote more exciting but it seemed and here i am crotchety old man again it seems <laughs> to me like like just further video gamifying real sports where so much of basketball of it doesn't watch the game see what you think of the ending because what i'm hearing matt say it sounds good but you're taking you're taking whole you know but have decades. you watched one game with it yet but here's the thing though you you're, you're <laughs> fundamentally altering how the game is coached and and played good and I think, Good. I went to Duke. Daryl, you're 19- the biggest basketball fan I know. and you- Because I went to Duke in 1967, and they were terrible. Um, and they would just start. But even when being terrible, they would beat Carolina by a point or lose by a point. The games were just absolutely terrific. But that was before the shot clock. And that's when... I guess it was, who was it? It was uh, uh, their, their famous coach. Um, he, he went into that four corners, awful stuff. He had Charlie Smith, Char, uh, uh, Charlie's was it Charles? Some he would always have great Phil Ford. He'd have these great ball handlers. So he'd have four people out in the corner and he would do this with the score 36 to 33 with 12 minutes to go in the game. And, and they would just, you know, and they actually, they, it, it came back and bit them they uh in the because then the the, the uh, playoffs only had like 16 teams or something not many you had to be the conference championship and they lost to north carolina state 12 to 10 <laughs> I, I think there are ways to fix the end of the game problems with fouls in the last you know minute and a half one team fouling every possession i think there are ways to fix that without removing the timing element from the game of basketball which has seems seems to me when well but when this is, this looks like still, an idea for that. Still a shot clock and like so this is the nba all-star game and the guys last year are taking charges they're diving for loose balls at the end of the game this is this is joe all i can say is watch it you're okay. gonna be surprised. You're gonna be surprised how much how how much you like it. Because, yeah, and, so we can so, we can talk NBA, about it next week, Matt, uh, Joe, and see if you change your mind. The NBA the NBA works better as 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 it is right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. NBA works better as it is right now than college basketball does. I think college basketball needs it. The NBA, I think, I think the NBA, I think NBA be, would be potentially better with it. But the college basketball, I think, right now needs it. Do you want to see it in the entire tournament or just in certain rounds? This is what I'd like to see. I would like to see the NCAA use it in in their in their November and December events, the 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 tournament events in November and December. I'd like to see them use it. So you've got it. So you you know that's happening over then over like two hundred games over because of all those events for a year for two years and see. 
okay, how does it go, like, how does it go wrong? How is it man manipulated? And is it, is it happen? you know, does something happen in a way that that's not anticipated that hurts it? And if that's the case, then if that's the case, then, then maybe, maybe it's not the answer, but so far, um, the events that have used it have been glad that they did. And the NBA All-Star game, that's definitely been been, been well, true. Well, I, I did your watch, boy, LeBron James, loves it. I, I didn't watch the game last year because I was tired of seeing the NBA All-Star game caliber of place. But I will I will watch this year. And it, it wouldn't be wouldn't be the first time I've had to eat my words on this, this show. So um, Now, Matt, let me ask you something about basketball because I live and die for basketball. I love it. Um, so it seems to me watching college and professional now this year that it's the game has had this change in which basically with the um, uh, there's nobody in the post and sort of like all the people are spread out around the outside. The ball moves a lot of handoffs. Once the big man gets it, he hands it off. They keep moving. Um, and th but the thing is, it seems like there's way more layups. It seems like players penetrate and because there's no traditional big man anymore and 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 for most teams there's not any shot blockers there is it does it seem to you that there's way more layups than there used to be certainly in college basketball there's less room protection because the because a big man who used to stay in college for for you know for three and four years is now there at best one um there is more uh there's definitely more layups probably at both levels the nba has you has certain guys that and and uh in certain situations where you see more of it i mean i think one of the reasons that the utah jazz has been as good as they have mm -hmm. so far this season is because Rudy gobert is, is a guy that 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 makes it really hard for 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 teams to do that and there's and there's a few of those guys in the nba but uh kids grow up around the world shooting three pointers now and wanting to. And so the fact that the big right. guys can do that, it draws the defense, the defense out there as well. And that's kind of, uh, and that's kind of, I, I think pulling everything away, away from the basket. Um, and so your, your teams are, teams are aiming for either layups or three pointers for either, uh, percentage wise. And uh, that those, those shots make the most sense for, for what you're looking for. But as a fan, do you enjoy that? Uh, you know, I, I don't mind it. Uh, I certainly, yeah, I guess that's the I way like, I feel. I cer I like it. I certainly like it better than the, uh, than the Knicks Pistons, uh, you know, era <laughs> of, the, of the early nineties. I, I definitely like that. 72 that. to 69, those kind of scores. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I do, I do like ball movement. I do like skill and so forth. I enjoy seeing a good shot blocker. It, it's certainly just a, uh, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a trade-off. Yeah, this is where Matt Matt Baker loves to point the finger at analytics and, and advanced st stat metrics, and that's what's led to this three pointers and dunks. That's those are the two most right. efficient shots if per possession. Shoot, if you shoot thirty three percent on three pointers, that's like shooting fifty percent on two pointers. Well, and it's right. funny. It's the, we used to see, especially in the NBA, thirty three, thirty six, thirty eight percent was good. Now there are lots of players in the forties and some of them close to 50% from three point range is there are lots of players who have better shooting percentage outside the line than they do inside the line. Yeah, no, certain guys, they've, they've, they've perfected that shot. And, and 
if they t- if they're back far enough, they'll they'll get enough room to get to get it off. It, oh, it's, look, uh, Curry and Lillard, you know, two steps <laughs> in, two steps in in from half court. They're they're that's their range. It's very right. young for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. what about that? I thought this idea was dumb. A four point shot. I'm against that. Yeah. Where that. where would it be? You want to so put it, it? You know, I don't know. Five six feet back from the three point line. If you hit it, then it would be a four point. Uh, that just I didn't like that. I mean, but, if anything, but we heard that same argument w- when the three point shot came out. People didn't like that, but I think it really did. As the players were getting so much bigger, that to have a clog of seven or eight players in the lane just just you could we couldn't go on like that. So I think right. it, as players get bigger and faster and stronger and can shoot from further out. I mean, twenty years ago you wouldn't have thought to put a line at 30 feet because no one was shooting from 30 feet. Now we've got half a dozen players where that's part of their game. So, you know, I think we, as we watch the humans evolve, we've had to change the game a little bit. I, it's funny cause I'm, I'm so adamantly against changing the clock administration <laughs> at the end of the game. But I think I'd, I think I'd be okay with a four point shot. Although then we're kind of getting into like slam ball territory where, okay. Well- I have no problem with moving the three-point line back if you want to do that. Moving but it closer to the basket or farther away? Further, further away. Uh, if you want to make it, if you want to make it harder to earn three points, I'm fine with that. Um, but you can't in the corner, right? Which is there's very there's not much well, shot. Also, to, yeah, I'm also fine with widening the court, which has been talked about too. Ah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, although that that goes back to our other main theme of the show is money, and if you're going to ask NBA teams to widen the court and take away a row of seats, even if it's only ends up being a few hundred seats, I think that's going to be difficult as it is right now. In most NBA arenas, the crowd is on the court, like dangerously close to the court, you know, not just from a, from a Laker LeBron situation. Like we saw a couple months <laughs> ago, woman but Scott's so mad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah, just, yeah. just from yeah. a, a, you know, players flying into the crowd safety standpoint, you know, injury prevention standpoint. Well, um, so let me, what, what do we have? Uh, 20 minutes. So Matt, a pretty consistent theme on our show has been uh, women's sports, but, and, and also the fact that they have kind of led the way in political expression. Um, and uh, for men in the NBA and LeBron's a really good example. There's, there are several people who speak up in a way that is not like Charles Bar- Barkley. I am not, uh, I am not a spokesman or whatever his famous line oh, was. Yeah. I'm not a role model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so especially, uh, you know, say that Renee Montgomery um, uh, for the dream. I, I just think what they're doing is, is great. I, and so, so a follow-up question too is how, so I understand football, you know, they've got often have Jerry Jones types owners and if they don't have guaranteed contracts. So if they speak up and cause trouble like Kaepernick, they don't, they never make another penny in the NFL, but baseball has guaranteed contracts. How come those guys don't speak up like basketball players? How come baseball players don't speak up? More yeah. Do they, well, or I don't see it so much. I mean, I think, I think baseball, uh, I think if you look at the demographics of the sport, um, there's, uh, I, I think if, if you look at the people who have been 
you know, have, have been really the leaders and the, in, in, the inspiring people in these movements, it's been a lot of black athletes. If you look at baseball right now, th- there's not a ton of black athletes compared to, you know, compared to what it was 30 years ago. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's speaking to a, a, a larger and a different problem for baseball that, that the sport ha- that the sport has not appealed the same way in, 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 uh, in the, in the black community and baseball misses their contributions, uh, certainly of, of athletes of, of, um, of, you know, of, of tapping into, to, to that pool of athletes that, uh, that a whole generation of, of have kids or have chose, chose football, chose basketball, in some cases chose soccer. And I, I think that, I think that's hurt. I think that's hurt baseball. Um, and so I, I think, I think that's probably the biggest part of it. There's probably some factor that there's 162 games or whatever. And, 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 and baseball doesn't have, uh, doesn't have the cultural impact that it did at one point. And so, uh, you're not, <clears throat> you're not hearing baseball players, uh, with, you know, with some, with a couple of notable exceptions, you're not hearing baseball players really speak out on anything. And, um, whether it's, you know, wh- whether it's racial issues, whether it's political issues of, of any kind. Um, and so I, I think, I think that, that, that probably ends up being, being part of it. Um, and because a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the greatest, the greatest black athletes have, have grown up wanting to be basketball players, wanting to be football players. Um, and that's, and it's only going to, it's only going to continue right now because um, historically, we've seen that, that people want to to follow role models that they where they can they can see themselves reflected in, and so there there aren't enough role models um, in certain communities, and that's that's really that's that's really too bad. I mean, you yeah, you, you think I about think the greatest got... baseball players, like I mean, you think about Willie Mays and and Hank Aaron and things, and what not only what great players they were, but what great men they were for mm-hmm. in, in their time. Um, in, in their primes and, and uh, Hank Aaron, especially, I mean, we saw so much when, when he died recently of, about his, his role. Um, <clears throat> the, the racial threats that he got regularly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so the, I, I think, I think baseball has, I think baseball hasn't done a good enough job of staying a, a appealing. You know, talking about rule changes, I like this business of the 10th inning, putting a guy on second base. I like some of these, you know, ideas um, because I think part of the reason that baseball lost its appeal was the four and a half hour Red Sox-Yankees game with 22 pitching changes, you know, and it's, uh, um, you know, nobody sits around for four and a half hours anymore. I mean, ba- baseball is boring. I mean, I literally cannot. I literally cannot watch a, a whole baseball game. Anymore. And I, you know, I'm a almost fifty year old man. Do, Matt, do you think these are terminal problems for baseball? Is I, mean, I, I don't see twenty years from now having lost already lost one generation of of young players. Now the 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 young fans are not into baseball at all. Is is baseball in trouble? Is Major League Baseball? So for me, I think the most encouraging thing, the development for baseball that's happened in the last 20 years was, uh, was Theo Epstein's speech when he left the Cubs saying that he looks at the game that, that, you know, and, and how he 
had a role in manipulating it on in some degree with the, his success in, with the Red Sox, his success with the Cubs, and the players that they looked for and the way that they approached things as far as the game plan goes. And he recognized it hurt the game. It hurt the game in terms mm-hmm. of length, in terms of uh, in terms of excitement. And now he's in he's in uh, he's a special assistant to the commissioner. And I have no faith in Rob Manfred as somebody that can lead anybody through anything. And I think we're heading for a, an ugly labor fight coming that's going to only hurt baseball more. But I think if baseball has a chance to start gaining some ground back, I think Theo Epstein has, is a pretty good guy to be involved in, in, in leading that process. I, it, I honestly believe 10 years from now, he's the commissioner of baseball. Wow. Now, that's cool. That's I, cool. Think I think there'll be some, some, some steps toward that. I think things like eliminating shifts, I think pitch clocks is, is good. Oh, the ships are horrible. I think, <sighs> so. I, I think horrible. So I, I think <sighs> so I, I think things like, oh, Joe, like innovation, in, innovation <laughs> using information to your benefit. What's but wrong with the that? shift? I'm not you know, against it in theory, but it, it's just it's it makes for ugly baseball. If it means yes. if it's making David Ortiz try to bunt. Nobody wants to see that. And so you're right. No. You are fundamentally right, Joe, that, that, that baseball players should be able to, you know, should, but you're talking about, if you're talking about something that would take 20 years to fix by, by trying to, to overcome those shifts, as opposed to taking something that you can fix in 20 minutes. If you if you eliminate it and it's still better it's still better for the game. I, I don't think I don't think that is breaking baseball. I don't think the the idea of allowing teams to position defensive players to give them it's the, the made best it advantage more boring and it was already boring to begin with. So that's not a good thing. Is the only exciting baseball game a seventeen to fourteen game? I mean, I, no. I, but when a when a batter hits a a low line drive to right field and the second baseman is out there like it's a softball and, and you know catches that w- would have been a single. I, I don't I th- like that. I think in general, I I see the efforts of sports teams as the function of a system that goes from ownership to you know towel towel person and i think why i'm more willing to accommodate the work of the analytics people and the stat crunchers and the laptop heads as part of the game than uh, certainly than than our mat is but I, this doesn't I, this doesn't eliminate that though like like right there's still a role even with it's not like all those guys do is design shifts there's plenty of things for for those guys those guys have done and that can still do to be effective i'm i'm talking about right now um i'm talking about right now that, that you you've got to you can't fix the game slowly and so if you deaden the ball a little bit in a way that there's you know so there's not as many home runs 17 to 14 isn't exciting if it's all strikeouts and home runs 17 to 14 right. could be exciting right. If there's doubles and stolen bases and the sacrifice bonds and, and hitting to the opposite field, right, right. So, if, so again, like you go to these extreme shifts, and players should learn to bunt. The problem is nobody bunts anymore. No one that skill is gone. So I think well, it was we, interesting. We, Ted Williams started that because he was the first one that they put a shift on, and people would say, uh, "Ted, just drop a bunt down the third baseline," and he just would never, ever, ever do it. And the, the thing is. You know, um, it's it's you know people have a swing 
and I think maybe Matt was getting to this. I mean, I think that, you know, right now in the strikeout home run phase, everybody looks to pull the ball. But there used to be a time where people sprayed the ball all over the field. And if if hitters learn that skill again, um, and, and the home run is not as all important as it is right now. Uh, I think there are better ways to fix the problem of the game being too slow and too boring. Keep, make the batter, and we saw a little effort towards this a few years yeah. ago, make the batter stay in the damn batter's box. I mean, the, the wandering between the – there was a, a stretch during the playoffs last year where I, I had the 15-second skip button. I was watching everything <laughs> in the yard, and it was 30 seconds. I would hit that button twice between pitches, and that's yeah. the only way I could watch a game was to skip that 30 seconds of the pitcher wandering out into center field and the batter – Hey, their gloves. Uh, they got to adjust those gloves. Come on. The batter going to read the newspaper in the dugout. It's just you know, there, there, there are ways to make the game crisper without taking away these advances in the game. And it's funny because I'm, I'm all over the place with my traditionalism versus innovations. Right. Well, it's I like right. too that I like that Joe hates Joe hates watching baseball, but is, will be very mad <laughs> if you change it. <laughs> I know, and I love it. I love it. Oh God. Um, so listen to go back a second. <clears throat> I, I always want to make sure that, you know, we give um, shout outs to the WNBA because they've really, in my mind, they pretty much led the uh, movement of certain star professional athletes speaking up, you know, and starting with that K Kelly Loeffler, um, you know, I just really appreciate what they're doing and it's not without risk. You know, but um, but they're doing it. They're speaking up. I actually think I actually think you could even go further back to the to to Megan Rapinoe and the, yes. um, the, yes. women's, the women's soccer team. Soccer, yes, st stand, standing up while where you know for what you know for what they thought think that uh, that an athlete should be in in ways um, and they were wearing U.S. uniforms at the time when they right. they were doing it. I, I think I think. Uh, I think they laid some of that. Uh, I think they laid some of that blueprint. Good too. Point. The difference between the WNBA doing it and the NBA doing it, you can look at the it, it, two sides of the coin. The I think the WNBA athletes have more risk involved when they do it yeah. because they don't make the same amount of money, and so if there is a backlash for them, their livelihood is much more affected by by it than than an NBA player. Um, who chances, you know, in most cases has made a lot of money, you know, has made, um, you know, set for life money already. You don't really get the most, for most WNBA players set for life money. And so for them to be willing to, to, to put, to, you know, to put that out in, in front of them um, is, you know, certainly says, and that's not taking away from any NBA players that do it. I think certainly, uh, I think certainly this group of NBA players uh, has far exceeded their predecessors who, yeah, um, definitely. right. You know, right. when you look at the whole Michael Jordan, Republicans buy sneakers too right. crack, uh, that, that, um, I think when you, when you look at the, uh, this group, I, th I think they've done a much better job in terms of, of, of taking, you know, the, the opportunity that they had and in, in, in trying to, to use it to, to, to make a difference. Yeah. And the, the players of that generation that did 
that did positive things for their communities, they, they happened a lot more quietly. You know, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, there's a number of players who's, who did a lot of things, but they don't, they're not as vocal about it. They're not as outspoken about it. And that, you know, I think part of that, it, like you said, Matt, part of that comes from the freedom of having a, you know, $180 million guaranteed contract, but it is nice. It is refreshing to see that after so many decades of silence from, from players. Um, Matt, do you think that the um, March Madness college basketball is going to be entertaining? I think it'll be entertaining. I don't. I think. It, I think um, it's been a strange year. Strange. Kind of, some people have played thirteen games. Yeah, with some kind of up with some inconsistent quality in general. Uh, I think it's it'll be as much as any year. Hard to know exactly what to expect. Um, I would say anybody filling out a bracket, you uh, look at the point guard, look at the coach. And I say that any, in any year, but it's even more so this year because the, I think the need to be able to adjust and improve on the fly is going to become that much, that much more critical because it's a strange year. And, and so, so pe- people that can, that can make adjustments are going to be people that are going to be successful. I'm I'm gonna put a pen in my dog's mouth and let him fill out my bracket for me because I feel like I feel like that's as likely to be successful as anything I could put together because it's uh, it's it, it's been such a, a weird season. I mean, look at Baylor, who's arguably one of the three best teams in basketball, who just came off a three and a half week break, and so right. you can't predict and trying to trying to. Having been a 19-year-old athlete myself, it's really hard to predict what a 19-year-old athlete is going to do from day to day. So I think the the last season's tournament, or two two years ago, this, the tournament was was unpredictable as ever, and it's just only going to be more so this time around. It, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but I would not want to be a professional gambler over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Daryl, are you afraid that your Blue Devils may not be there? I- well, they they do it. They have two chances. They're playing UNC tonight. Certainly, if they lose the UNC, no, they have no chance of getting in. But again, then they I think they do still play the ACC playoffs. And if they do, Duke could win it. I don't think they will. Will um, this be the first time? Uh, when was the last time they missed the tournament? It's been twenty years or so. It's the, you know, and they have could, really good that year. They have really good freshmen, but uh, they just didn't gel this year. Like. Coach K usually gets them to, and um, you know to have their best player quit uh, before the end of the season that wasn't too good either. So, so yeah, I think the Duke's missing the tournament. Wow, and I, I think they're gonna miss. I think they're gonna miss it as well. Yeah, and I, I, I think uh, it's Kentucky's gonna miss the tournament. It's it's it'll be uh, Michigan State is probably getting in now, but they're bubble for a while. It's it's a strange year for sure. Hasn't Kentucky though won a lot recently or not? I know they had a horrible start, but I thought they were uh, doing better. I think they're doing better, but but I think the I think the ground that they would have, would have had to. Uh, yeah, they're eight the and fifteen. Game. They're eight and fifteen, yeah. so they're they're out for sure. Yeah, as as is UMass. Well, now and so so Matt, you didn't get to see the UMass men or women too much. The the I didn't either, and. and you know, so it's really hard. It looked like the it looked like the the women's coach is good, and that the team has improved their quality. Yeah, I think I, I think I think the women are I, I think the women look are, are improving. 
Um, there's still there's still definite. Uh, I think there's still definite steps to steps to take for them <clears throat> as well. I didn't see enough of them this year to make a uh, right. to make a to make a real. And the men, the UMass men, seem to have some pretty interesting freshmen, but it was they just played so few games and it was so inconsistent. I, yeah, I think this is an unfortunate missed development year for that team. I think this is that that team is probably an NIT caliber team with a full season this year, building toward next year as a potentially right. really good year. I think it's hard. I mean, they had they've had, had a couple stretches of, of being shut down. I think it's hard to really build any momentum for them for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we out of things to talk about. Let's oh, see. oh God, no, God no, we haven't yeah. even gotten. Yeah, you know only if, got four minutes, Joe. So well, I, I think up. I think we'll have to talk more about this next week. But how disgusting the Les Miles situation is, and oh. you know, we we for oh. for those of you that aren't familiar, um, Les Miles, who's now the head coach at Kansas, was at um, LSU for about seven or eight years, and apparently in 2013 behaved so inappropriately with some of the female student employees of the football team that he was really close to being fired. The athletic director wanted to fire him for cause the university ended up telling him that he could not be alone in a room with any of these employees anymore. And honestly, if that's what you're doing from a university president level, you, there really needs to be a, a, and we've been saying this for a year that there needs to be a huge reexamination of the priorities of American college athletic departments. But yeah. this is so, and the, the, the story is disgusting on its face. What's even you know, equally or more disturbing is the fact that this is not this is not a rare thing. This is happening. No, uh, Matt, everywhere. talk about that Callaway thing. What was... Oh, sure. I mean, the, if you look at um, in major league in major league baseball, Mickey Callaway was uh, he was the uh, pitching coach with the Indians, and then the manager of the Mets. He's now the um, he's now the uh, pitching coach for the Angels, and people uh, keep coming out keep coming out in all three organizations talking about how inappropriately he behaved for them and, and, you know, sending them inappropriate photographs of, of, of his genitalia. And that, and that it sounds like it was a, it was a really poorly kept secret that this was, was going on. And, and um, I don't know if I can use his nickname on the, on the air, but it, it was, <laughs> it was something that rhymes with pick pick Mick, you know and like so you know that, that he, and so uh that he you know that that was that was going you know that the the people were calling him that enough that they knew that that was happening and yet he, this guy still has still has a job and still interacting with people and it, it it certainly is a uh the latest in 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 a far too long list of evidence that that uh that this kind of thing uh is um, that that this kind of thing is, is too much. Too people are too willing to be overlooked overlook in sports. Right. Oh, it's remarkable that Les Miles still has a job. I guess he's been put on administrative leave by the U University of Kansas. But I do hope that the these. I bet he never coaches another game. Yeah, I, I do hope that we're at the tipping point with this stuff where he he's he's going to lose his job and and hopefully what's going to happen though three or four years from now, some other school is going to give him a chance because he's less miles. And well, he's like, he's like, he's, he's old now too, which is an help. And he failed. He failed. It can't. Here's the problem is he's going to not get another job for football reasons now. And for age reasons, then more so than not, not, not for what it should be yeah. for mistreating people. Right. Um, yeah. It's, 
You know, I think that there's been, obviously there's very little good to say that came out of the COVID situation, but I think that the protests before really led people to, to you know, there was a big change in the way people looked at Black Lives Matter, that they, they really got that it was. And I do think that women, I hope, are approaching a time in which their word is taken and and you know they get the chance to speak up and uh and take care of themselves well this and both the universities have a chance to make some sort and LSU kind of blew their first opportunity and I don't know I feel like they're less in control of this than than Kansas is right now so listen thanks a lot for listening to a really fun show today uh Baker Big D and Joe Sports Plus with special guest Matt Vitor. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. Matt, thank you for exposing Joe for this. You know, not that I'm very consistent, but, um, you know, baseball is boring, but I watch it (laughs) because of the key plays, you know. (laughs) It's it's not the first time my hypocrisy has been uh, been exposed here. (laughs) I'm so confused by... Trying to make a bracket this year. I, I've looked at what I think the seedings are going to be. I the only thing I I can say that I can put some weight behind is it seems like it's the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and Gonzaga. Like it seems right. like the the cream's going to float to the top. So I I get the feeling my bracket's going to be heavy on on Big Ten and Big Twelve teams. I could see I could see that for none of it's. None of those coaches are coaches you trust necessarily in the in tournament situations. See, a lot of those guys that have 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 uh, have failed in in big spots before too. Though I'm like like how I don't. So like Matt, how, are you are you big on coaches? You think that that's the way to to predict the teams? Like so, like the Tom Izzo for Michigan State would seem to be an example yeah. of a great coach whose teams don't appear to be that good and they make it to the final eight every year. My philosophy when I'm picking a bracket is you take talent on the first game of the weekend. You take the coaching on the second game of the weekend because that second game of the weekend is hard to turn it around. Now there are exceptions to that. And I'm, I'm certainly, this is not like I just look at and check that box that way, but that's kind of where, where I go with it is, is a good coach is going to, is going to make the better adjustments the second time and certainly and like you look at a team that'll play defense in that second game is important uh too so yeah Izzo's been Izzo's been really good at that I mean you um one of the things that that, the reason why Duke has has failed so much in recent years is that coach K hasn't figured out how to get freshman teams to play defense right they have with all of his freshmen they don't play they haven't played and they don't play defense the way his his older groups did. And, right. and, and I, and that's, that's, I think that's really made them vulnerable in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different situations. Yeah. Now, do you think UNC is making the tournament? I, I think they will. I think they will too. Yeah, I think they will. So yeah. uh, it, are, are, do you consider a seven and seven tournament record for a 43 year old head coach success? Who are we talking about? Shaka smart. Uh, he certainly he was a better coach at no I mean he was certainly a better coach at, at VCU than he's has been at Texas. He has not got he has not created the culture the same way, and that was so culture based at VCU. So. Have you have you seen them 
have you seen significant Texas games this year? Because I, 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 again, this is my my alma mater bias, but and they are as talented as I think anyone in the country, and they seem to be coming into form. They had a pretty rough COVID situation mid season too. And I haven't seen them enough. I've seen. I think I've seen them twice, uh, and they looked better the second time. I, I think that I think they're going in a in a good direction and I'm biased because I like Shaka a lot personally. Um, so, uh, but I don't, you know, I'll, I need, uh, I guess I need to, uh, I'll still need to be convinced a little bit. What's, I mean, what's Texas's record this year? Are they, are they ranked? Yeah, they're yeah. four. They were 14. They just beat Oklahoma who was 16. So they'll, yeah. they'll go up. They've been as high as four, but then they had, again, they had a bunch of COVID issues and a little three or four game losing streak in the middle of the season. So, um, Matt, I, how about Florida State? Do you think they're any good? Uh, they're t- they always fail in the tournament, though. That's kind of the. I know, but they but they it. play defense. They really usually usually I don't know about this year, but usually they play defense. I like Leonard as a guy. I don't think he's that great. A co- I don't think he's that great a. Ter- a uh, I don't think he's that great a coach. So I'm I'm. They're a team that and, and so and uh, this is a year that I've watched less than I have in, in a lot, in a lot of years. And so I'm, I'm working off of some, in some cases, some, some bias. They're a team that always, in, you look at them and you see there's usually an NBA guy on the wing. There's usually a really good lockdown defender. And there's a lot of reasons you look at them and say, Hey, they should be pretty good. They should be a pretty good tournament team. And they never are. Is there one particular thing that's made you watch less basketball this year? Or is it just sort of, it's not a, it's not an anti-college basketball thing. It's um, it's as much as, as it's been a uh, job wise, I don't, it's not, it's not as much a part of it anymore. And so I've been, um, we had our two Celtics beat writers, both took other jobs right at the start of the season. I've been our Celtics beat writer uh, for the past two months. We just, our new guys are in now, but so it became, it was just a, a matter of their college basketball games going on and I'm, I'm covering NBA. It's, um, it's, so it's Celtics, like, well, you, you said like, uh, well, something about how coaches need to adjust. I've always felt that Stevens is a really good coach, but what do you think? I, I, I think Stevens is a good coach. I think, I think the, uh, I think the talk, I think some of the talk radio driven stuff with him this year is, is a little bit silly. I, I think he's, I think he's fine. I think uh, they haven't been healthy for a lot of it. They, a lot they're of still, they're of, missing, they're missing something. They're missing. They're missing, oh, Marcus, I think, they're missing Marcus Smart, but they, they here's, definitely, but but also like a big rebounder, a, a big strong guy that that you know can sort of uh, dominate inside. Yeah, they didn't have that last year though, and they went and, and they went to the Eastern Conference fi- Finals, and they, you can win without it. I I I think I, I'm not. It would. They would certainly take that guy if that guy became right. available. But I, I, I think, uh, I, I don't think it's. I don't think they're dead without it. What do you think the ceiling is for this group of Celtics? Is this a championship? Is this a core of a championship team? I think. I think Jason Tatum can be a. I think Jason Tatum can be a, uh, a, the best player in a championship team. Uh, yeah. But I, I think it's. I, I think there's still. I think it's. It's still building. I don't think it's there. Right. And then Jason Brown is wonderful. Yeah. 
Jalen Brown. Yeah, if I had a, yeah, if Jaylen I could Brown, only yeah. if I could only hold on to one or the other, I think I would keep Brown, which I know is not the more popular opinion, but it just seems that in just particularly in the playoffs because that's most of the Celtics that I've seen in the last couple of years. It seems like he's the more consistent playoff performer, and Tatum's been a little streaker, a little more hot and cold in the playoffs. Again, it's a pretty small sample size that I'm looking at. Not- but, you know, it's it's interesting. So Ainge went after all those draft picks. And, you know, I would say they paid off in the sense that those two players, they're both 24 years old. So they've got a lot of time Tatum, in Tatum front of 22. them. Yeah, and Smart's, and, yeah. And smart's and 23, Brown right? Has has really improved. It's It's – you know, hit the way he handles the ball, his little short jump shot. Uh, he's really and, – and he, he more than Tatum plays defense. Yeah, although I think Tatum – I think Tatum's a better defender than he gets credit for. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And they're both – I the, the issue I see is they're both – their games are so similar that almost, you know, on the court it's it's hard to distinguish one guy's game from the other that there may be too much overlap. And I think – and, again, I'm a little bit too much of the – video game slash fantasy sports model where I want to trade everybody. I want all the huge, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I was the only person in Portland that wanted the Blazers to trade CJ McCollum for James Harden. But I think there's it, like Daryl said, they're missing a piece that a lot of other teams are missing in the front court, but they could turn one of those two players into a, a front court player. But I think, part of what makes the Celtics so tough to stop is that they've got these do anything, play anywhere on the court. So many of these interchangeable parts that it makes them hard to defend from zero to 30 feet out. So I think it's a, it's almost a philosophical thing. Do they keep running down this path or do they? Yeah, I I do think you can. I I think, I, I think if you look at, I think if you look at what, the way Golden State won, I think you can win with ball. I think you can win with ball movement perimeter, and um, and smaller and uh, smaller guys inside that can they can do different things. I think the the thing with this Celtics team this year is, I really don't think it, that the I, I won't be comfortable judging them intelligently until until the end until the end of the season if they've had their if they've had more people together for longer because here's the biggest point that no one is making with the Celtics they had during that stretch of that month in there where they were up and then they were down they practiced once right they had one practice in there because of the way this schedule in this season is is put together it's hard to get better at anything or hard to change anything because you're playing every other day. And a lot of times you're playing, you're playing one day, you're off one day, and then you play the next two. And so I think that's been a real factor for this group and in just in general, because I think that, uh, that I, and I think people are, I think people are, I think that's why a lot, so many of these teams are just, uh, I think, I think that's why so many, so many of these, um, these teams and these games and the that are uh are so inconsistent and things can go off the rails so far and so fast is that i i think that that the teams don't have time to adjust they don't have time to to improve themselves and i think that i think that's a factor yeah i mean the the scramble definitely is i would have thought it would have affected the play more so but it does seem that 
somewhere there, there's a balance because there are obviously other factors that are because shooting percentages are are through the roof and you know it seems like the the quality of play on the court is pretty good it's just, you you threw me a little bit when you said you were going to talk about this intelligently because that's not <laughs> not really typical for this program you, you didn't give him an honest description about our show <laughs> no, we're usually we usually try to talk about things loudly. That's kind of <laughs> and, and interrupt. Funny. You know, I don't like Matt. Can you actually listen to to talk radio? You know, Boston talk radio. What, you mean can I, from a gag reflex standpoint, without getting sick and and just yeah. Oh yeah, no, I find I, yeah, I, it, I'm. I find I find there's I find some I find it occasionally intelligent and often amusing. Occasionally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Occasionally intelligent, often amusing. I, I, I just find you know it's it's a bunch of talking about stuff that could happen, you know, um, you know, speculation, and I I don't know. It it doesn't. It I just life. Our time is you know like I'm old, and so you feel like your time is precious, and I just you know I get I try to listen, and I just can't do it. Yeah. Well, I'm not mining it for for topics. I'm I'm laughing at it as much as I as much as okay. as much as anything. Yeah, yeah it drives I, I me nuts. I can't expose myself to anything like that. That's just going to get me angry. Whether I'm it's just glad you're not exposing yourself. <laughs> hey, hey, I want to I want to say very proudly that I've done. I've spent most of the last year on Zoom. I have worn pants for every every zoom meeting i've been on since day that's that is impressive that well is i know impressive. i know daryl you have to be because you're actually you have to go out no, in public to get no. where you <laughs> i put a i put a nice dress shirt on i haven't worn i haven't had a belt i've only worn sweatpants <laughs> since march you know yeah. Yeah, same. I've been in sweats and shorts which it's going to be yeah. tough to get out of that that particular <laughs> habit but yeah matt you're you're actually all dressed up are you going somewhere or did you did you put a nice sweater on just for us? Uh, I put a sweater on because it's it's cold. I don't know if you can see my leg. I'm still in pajama. I'm still in pajama. I'll stand up. I'm still very much in pajama pants. Good. All right. <laughs> is Joey in? Is he? Is his school in school? Is he actually? Yes. Yeah. Oof. So the, Franklin schools are hybrid. What town except, are you in? I'm in Franklin. Um, okay. But ex- except for the kids of the highest needs. And he certainly qualifies for amongst the highest needs. So he's in every day. Is that, I mean, I guess with your routines, cause you're, you're home all the time now, right? I mean, I'm doing like, I'm, ho- I'm home except for when I'm at a game. There's no practice, but like I've been, I'm, I've, I've been covering Celtics home games from the garden. So they actually have print reporters in the building while the yeah. broadcasters are working from home or from a studio somewhere. Yeah, the broadcasters were doing it. They, the broadcasters were doing the home games live, and now they've stopped. I'm not sure exactly what changed, but there was like a whole broadcast setup halfway up the uh, halfway up the, um, the on the stands on one side. And now right, they're, they're not on the court anymore. Right, right. Wasn't even on the court. It was like it was like they it was this thing constructed in the middle of the stands. Right, right. So. They they took them back up off the off the scorers table and put them up. And they I noticed that on the national games, they had been live until just last week, I think, because the Blazer Blazers played Thursday on ESPN or TNT, and and you know Reggie Miller and Mike Breen or whoever it was, Mark Jackson were were remote for what I think was the first time. 
it seems to me that that might be a a thing that maybe not maybe doesn't become the standard for pro broadcasts, but maybe for college, you know, for college stations or for smaller independent stations that they, because if you've got a camera crew at the game, there really is no reason to have your, have your broadcast team. I mean, I, but the, you know, once crowds are back in it, there's something really fun about an, you know, the audience rooting their team to come back or celebrating a, a lead, you know, and that type of thing that the noise, the energy, it's, it's quite nice. Well, I think once the, once they get to the point where crowds are back, then you'll have broadcasters back in the building. But I, I think for now it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be missing anything. And I don't know. It's funny as a broadcaster, I don't know how I would feel about that. I don't know. Because there is something to be said for being in the environment, being able to look anywhere in the arena, and you can see things that are happening on the bench that may not necessarily be be shown on camera. But it seems to be working pretty well so far. See, I think there's, I think they're missing a lot of things. I think they can't see the bench, they can't see things that are going on in the bench. I think, I think they're ma- they're hi- they're masking a lot of things that they'd want to know, like like who's getting ready, is somebody getting worked on. A certain place, I'd go to see who's on the bike, to see who's right. being attended to in a certain way. Like I, I think that's, I think that stuff is, is missing in ways that, uh, that I know, I, I know, I know, especially hockey broadcasters are, are very uncomfortable with it. But um, hockey is is so different in person, being able to see everything that's happening on the ice as opposed to what the what the TV camera shows. I I could see it being a much bigger issue for hockey but honestly for baseball does it matter i mean for basketball you're right a lot of things happen not just away from the the in-game action but away from the court you know where you you watch two players drawing on the bench or you watch just watch a coach's body language things like that but i i think in other sports it may not matter i think i think with baseball the thing that you're missing and this is probably true in football too um, I think, uh, I think with base with baseball, what you're missing is filler, in a way that's like to be able to talk about what's going on in the bench or where somebody is. You're really at the at the mercy of what the camera crew is giving you because you don't know. Um, you know, there are things that, because this because it's such a break in baseball and in football, break between plays. You're, you're just missing stuff in, in ways that, that I think is, is, uh, ends up being, you know, ends up being challenging for the broadcaster to figure out what to say in those spots. Well, I think though in, in baseball, at least for me, my filler, and maybe it's cause I grew up on Phil Rizzuto and Bill White, my filler often had very little to do with what's going on in the right field or in the bleachers. It was, you know, Phil Rizzuto used to talk about cannoli. You know, like it, I think there's there's more space in a baseball broadcast to, and the, there's more acceptance of, you know, going. Was that what he did every time, or is that what you remember? Because that. <laughs> I mean, he was he was notorious for for wandering regularly, and I think with with baseball and with football, there's usually enough if you've got a good color analyst that that analyst can fill the that 45 seconds with just a reaction to the previous play. 
And but again, football is like basketball, where there's so much happening on the sideline, and, and you know, you know where where baseball is perfect is when you're camping out on the over. radio. You know, and it's just like you got the crickets in the background and, you know, and there's all these pauses and it's just, uh, you know, it's a, that's what baseball is best at. <laughs> I think baseball for me now is best as background filler, whether it's radio or even if it's on TV, you know, you can you can walk away from a baseball game like you can't with a basketball game, with an NBA game. And I think but it's funny because as an old man, I'm supposed to like things that are slow and easy, but I've maybe it's maybe I'm a little too much, you know, facing my phone culture where I need that, you know, the quick hits of the, you know, the basket every eight seconds. Who's calling me at fucking 730 in the morning? Saturday. <laughs> um, yeah, Matt, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you. Uh, no problem. Man. That was fun. Thanks a lot. All right. Good to talk to you guys.